I want to ask you to open your Bible to the book of Ephesians, the fourth chapter, and hold it open there. We'll be uh, sharing some verses from other uh, places, but that will be our main text tonight, Ephesians chapter 4, and uh, we'll be referring to verse 30, and uh, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18 as our two text for this evening. I want to share with you tonight six words that can change any life. Six words that will change your life. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30 says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit, whereby you are sealed under the day of redemption. Mark the words, grieve not. Would you say those words with me? Grieve not. Then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Verse 19, the scripture says, quench not the spirit. We referred to that in our introduction yesterday in talking about the Ignite Conference because that verse is sometimes translated, don't put out the spirit's fire. Quench not the Spirit. Say that with me, would you? Quench not the Spirit. Grieve not, quench not. And then Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Paul said, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but... Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Say those words with me. Be filled with the Spirit. Grieve not. Quench not. Be filled. Six words that will radically change your life. Rose and I were sit, sat down at the dinner table in Winter Park, Florida, where I was pastoring First Baptist Winter Park. Late one afternoon, and my phone rang. I got up from the table to answer the phone, and, and when I did, there was a, a weeping on the other end of the line and a staccato voice that kept trying to communicate to me, but they would say a word or two, and then they would break down, and then they would say another word or two, and they'd break down, and I couldn't really tell who it was, nor what they were saying. And I just kept listening. And finally, they got their composure, and I recognized it was the voice of a young man that I had been his pastor for a number of years, and 
I had ordained him as a deacon, and he had gone to Central America with me uh, on mission trips, and I had just seen the Lord's hand upon his life in incredible ways. And then God had called him to preach, and he had gone to seminary, and I had ordained him to his first church, and, 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 and he was now in his second church, and, and, and both those churches had just exploded with growth because of his giftedness. He was a young man whose hand was, God's hand was obviously on him. And as I tried to distill what he was saying, I finally realized that what this young man was saying to me was, Brother Tommy, I have blown it. I have had an affair. I've lost my church, and I may lose my family. And I remember as he spoke, I wept, and he wept. I love this guy almost like a son. But you know, as I thought about it, more than me weeping and more than him weeping, God was weeping. He was grieving the heart of God. Now I want to ask you to close your eyes with me just for a minute, please. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want you to do a mental exercise with me. It's going to be different for everybody in this room. Here's what I want you to do. It's, it's painful, and I, I hate to ask you to do it, but I think it's important for this part of the sermon. I want you to visualize now. I want you to go back in your life to that moment in your life when you grieved the deepest. It may have been at the death of a, a spouse or the death of a child. It may have been when you heard those words, you have terminal cancer. I don't, I don't know when it was. I don't know what precipitated it. It may have been when you, your husband divorced you or your wife walked out. I, I don't know. I don't know when it was. But have you got it? Are you feeling how you felt then? It hurts, doesn't it? All right, look up here at me. Now, if you had it within your power to turn to the person next to you and by saying something or doing something to them make them feel as badly as you just remembered feeling would you do that would you do that would you do that choir no you wouldn't do that why you say, man, it just hurt me to remember it. I wouldn't dare put that on somebody else. I wouldn't dare make them feel that depth of grief that I just remembered feeling. I, I don't want anybody to feel like that. Now let me ask you. If it were possible for you to do something or say something and make God grieve as deeply as you just remembered grieving would you do it and I think I hear every person in this room saying no brother Tommy but before you answer that you need to realize that that is a possibility 
that grieving God is within the realm of possibility for every believer in this room. Actually, when Paul writes to the Ephesian Christians in chapter 4 and verse 30, and he tells them, grieve not the Spirit of God, it is in the Greek tense that really is saying, stop grieving. In other words, here was a group of people that were already in the process of breaking the heart of God, and he's saying, stop it. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, this word grieve implies at least two things. Number one, the word grieve implies relationship. You cannot grieve. I cannot grieve this notebook. I cannot grieve my laptop. I cannot grieve my iPhone. I cannot grieve a thing. I can only grieve another person. So the ability to grieve implies a relationship that exists. But not just any relationship, choir, but an intimate, close, loving relationship. I picked up my iPhone this morning. I had a first cousin to die down in Tupelo, Mississippi, and I'm doing his funeral tomorrow. And I knew his obituary was in the paper this morning. Well, it's really not the paper. It's on my iPhone. And I pulled up the Tupelo Daily Journal obituaries. And I began to read through the obituaries. And I read this one and this one. And I, I saw that name and I saw this and I saw this. You know, I didn't break out into tears. They're humans. They're people. But I didn't grieve over them. And then I came to the name Kenneth Roberts. And Kenneth's my cousin. Kenneth and I used to play together. We used to run together. I used to spend the night with him. His mother and my daddy were brother and sister. I, I grew up with Kenneth, and I'm going to preach his funeral tomorrow. And when I, when I read his obit, it touched my heart. I was sad in my heart. You know why? Because I have a relationship with him. And can I just say to you that the stronger the relationship and the more intimate re the relationship, the deeper the grief And so it's impossible to grieve somebody we don't love. And so Paul is saying here that a Christian, somebody who loves God, like this core group on a Monday night in an Ignite conference, people that are the heart and soul of this church, you and I can grieve God. There's a second thing that's implied here and I've already mentioned it not only a relationship but a, a love relationship love I, I, I can just see David weeping Absalom my son my son Absalom grieve stop grieving he says the Holy Spirit I see Jesus looking out over Jerusalem, saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how many times I would have gathered you under my wings like a mother hen, and you would not.
Jesus grieving over Jerusalem. Now, what is it that grieves the Holy Spirit? Well, well let, let, me just, let me just run you through Ephesians chapter 4 with your Bible open there. I, I, we, we can't take a whole lot of time, but uh, if I can just plant some seed in your heart. Ephesians chapter 4, let me say that the first thing the text tells us grieves the Holy Spirit is when we live like we don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Look up at verse 17. Verse 17 says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the emptiness or vanity of your mind. You see he's saying here that when we walk like unsaved people, when God's people act like we're not God's people, that grieves God. You know, the Bible says if any man be in Christ, he's a what? He's a new creature. And so James chapter 2 tells us that the way that we display the fact that we have faith is by our life, by our works. And that faith without works is what, church? It's a dead faith. And so when we live like we don't really know the Lord Jesus. That grieves the heart of God. But look in verse 19. See verse 19? He says, Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanliness with greediness. Now notice that phrase, being past feeling. Let me just say the second thing the text would indicate that grieves the heart of God is when we allow our hearts to get cold to the things of God. I remember when we moved to Memphis, Tennessee, from Corinth, Mississippi, to pastor Colonial Hills Church. We were right on the path where the FedEx planes would take off every morning about 3.30. And I'm telling you, the first few weeks that we lived there, I would wake up every morning. They would take off, you know, one right after another. I was in the Air Force, and I remember in Vietnam when the B-52s would take off in what we call minimum interval takeoffs heading down to Nam. And it was like, it'd make the earth shake. Well, FedEx is about as bad. And I'd wake up every morning with those FedEx planes, just one right after another. But do you know, after I'd been there about six months, I stopped waking up. And after I'd lived there for two years, I never even paid any attention to it. You know, it's amazing, isn't it, how that our hearts can get calloused to things. You know, sin that used to, that used to sleek down back alleys now struts down Main Street, and it doesn't even bother us. Our hearts have become calloused. Our hearts have become cold. And that grieves God. It grieves God when our hearts get cold to things that grieve His heart. Well, I've got to run on. Uh, when, when, when we're not truthful, verse 25 teaches us that when I'm not truthful, when I, he uses the word counterfeit there. When I have more in the, in, in the show window than I have in the warehouse. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> when, I, when, I, when I put up a front, it looks good. I look good on Sunday morning, but, but if you see me on Tuesday night or Wednesday night, or th I might be different. Whenever there's inconsistencies, it grieves the heart of God. Uh, verse, uh, verse 26, and I'm just going to go quickly. When we're not angry at the things that God is angry at, it grieves His heart. You know, when we're not angry at sin, it grieves the heart of God. Uh, verse, uh, uh, verse 28, when we're not satisfied with what Jesus provides for us, and we resort to stealing, that's what verse 28 says, 
uh, that we're not to steal. Basically, it's an attitude of not being satisfied with what God has given to us. That grieves the heart of God. Uh, When we use our tongue to speak sinful things, it grieves the heart of God, verse 29. And then in verse 31 and 32, and this will be the last one I'll, I'll have time to talk about, when we hold on to grudges and bitterness toward other people, it grieves the heart of God. So if any of those things are a part of your life, then then you're grieving God. And the Bible says, stop grieving the Holy Spirit. All right, now that's the first two words. Now let's go to the second two words, grieve not. But then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, he says, quench not the Spirit. Turn over there with me just for a minute. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Quench not the Spirit. Or as I think the message says, don't put out the Spirit's fire. That's a good translation of that verse. You see, fire is a metaphor for the presence of God, for the power of God. And and, and when he says, quench not the Spirit, he's just saying, don't put out the fire. Don't allow anything into your life that, that smothers out the fire of God's Spirit that he wants to ignite in your life. Now, what is it that quenches the Holy Spirit? Well, look at the text there. Just look at the text. We, in, in verse 16, he says, rejoice evermore. Well, what's the opposite of rejoicing evermore? Having an old sad, uh, morose disposition that always views the glass as half empty rather than half full. You, you, you don't have a joyful heart, a joyful spirit. That puts out the Spirit's fire. You ever run into somebody that they just seem like they're, they're called of God to make everybody else miserable around them? You know, they just, you don't ever want to ask them how they're feeling because they might just tell you and it'll ruin your day. He says, rejoice evermore. And then look at verse 17, pray without ceasing. Well, what's the opposite of that, church? It's lack of prayer, isn't it? Do you know that when I, when I don't pray, you know what that says about me? When I don't pray, do you know what that betrays about me? That betrays an independent spirit that's putting out the Spirit's fire in my life. The very fact that I don't have a life characterized by prayer is saying, God, I can do it on my own. And that grieves the heart of God, and that quenches the Spirit of God in my life. Look at verse 18. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything give thanks. In other words, when my heart is not filled with an attitude of gratitude, guess what? It quenches the Holy Spirit. I'll just look down at at verse 20. Despise not prophesying. Now, what does that mean? That means when I'm not responsive to the truth God gives me when the Word of God is taught and preached. When your pastor preaches, or when I preach and, and, and you hear a truth from me, and hey, can I tell you this? God doesn't give us truth just to examine, to look at it and say, oh, that's nice. God gives us truth to obey. And so when God reveals a truth to you and to me, and, and I, I just treat it like it's some little 
novelty and I'll decide later whether I want to embrace it or not and follow it or not. Guess what? You're pouring cold water on the work of the Spirit of God and you're never going to grow. You're never going to be effective because you're going to perpetually live a life that's so far less than what God intended you to have when He saved you. You constantly are pouring cold water on the Spirit's work. And then look what he says. Prove all things and hold fast that which is good. Verse 21. That means when I don't have discernment, when I don't have a spirit of discernment, that pours cold water on the work of God. So, so here, here it is, folks. Four of the, of the six words that will change every life in this room is when you stop grieving and you stop quenching the Holy Spirit. But I want to tell you this. When we do those two things, we're putting ourselves in a position for the last two words. Grieve not, quench not. What's the last two words, church? Be filled. Be filled. If tonight, when the choir finished singing that beautiful song, thank you. You guys are Brooklyn Tab would be proud of you tonight. That was great. That was wonderful. When we finished that song and we finished the special, if I had stood up and I had wobbled an uneven path and I started up these steps, you know what your pastor would have done? He'd have come and got me under the arm. A couple of these big deacons around here, big guys. God led to singing tonight. He's a big guy. And one of you got under one arm and one would have got under the other arm and you'd have drugged me right out that door. And I can just hear Brother Don saying, Brother Tommy, you won't preach for me tonight because you're drunk with wine for in his excess. You'd probably even use those King James words right there. <laughs> Brother Tommy, you're drunk with wine for in his excess. And he'd have been exactly right, wouldn't he? I mean, I couldn't come up here and preach being drunk with wine. You wouldn't take it. Your pastor wouldn't take it. Your staff wouldn't take it. I want to ask you something. You see that verse, Ephesians 5, 18? Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. I want to ask you something. In the eyes of God, which is worse? For me to walk an uneven path to this pulpit with a thick tongue so that you could barely understand me and preach being drunk with wine? Or for me to walk a straight path, an arrogant path, a straight back, thinking I can do it all myself and preach in the energy of the flesh without the fullness of the Spirit? Which is worse? I submit to you it's just as bad to not preach filled with the Spirit as it is to preach drunk with wine. But the tragedy is the level of discernment in so many Christian bodies is such that a man can pastor for 30 years in the flesh and nobody ever call his hand on it. 
In fact, applaud him. Put him on TV. Because the level of discernment in our churches is so, so desperately shallow. Now look at that. Just take a moment with me and let me unpack that verse to you. See that word filled? <clears throat> That's the Greek word pleru. Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. That word pleru is used in the New Testament this way. <clears throat> Here is a person, the Scripture will say, he is filled with grief. What does that mean? It means that his whole emotional being is permeated with, with grief. Or if a person is filled with jealousy, what does it mean? It means that jealousy is in the steering wheel of his life. That jealousy is controlling him, right? So to be filled, play rude, to be filled with the Spirit, what does it mean? It's not a quantitative term, church. The Holy Spirit is not a liquid. We're not filled up to here or up to here or up to here or up to here. The word filled is a qualitative term, not a quantitative term. It refers not to how much of the Spirit we have, but how much of us does the Spirit have. It refers to the quality of control that the Holy Spirit has in my life. And if I am filled with the Spirit, that means I am controlled by the Spirit. So what he's saying is this, be controlled by the Spirit. Romans 8 9 says that every Christian in this room has the Spirit. In fact, he goes on to say, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. So the wonderful news tonight, believer, is this. 1 Corinthians 3.16 and 6.19 both tell us that your body and mine, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives in us. You believe that tonight? That the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your heart. Every Christian has him resident. But not every Christian has him president. Every Christian has him inhabiting him. But not every Christian has him ruling off the throne of his life. So being filled with the Spirit means to be controlled. Now, I, I remember back in the late 60s. Some of you can remember those days. Some of you can't. I used to listen to Brother Don preach on the radio back in those days. Uh, back in the 60s, there was a movement that came through evangelicalism called the charismatic movement. And it scared Southern Baptists to death. <laughs> and uh, I was one of them. I was a brand new preacher. And... Uh, Man, you know, 
I believe you could shinny up trees and do backflips off the pews, but just don't speak in an unknown tongue. And I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek, you know. We had our parameters around it. You know what I'm saying? My brother was a Southern Baptist deacon, and his church went through the charismatic movement. And he began to talk to me as a young Baptist preacher about what had happened to him. And I'm, I'm a new pastor. And I want to be honest with you. I wanted everything God had for me, Brother Don. And if it didn't have Baptist marked on it, that was okay. If I, if I, if I had to give up being a Baptist in order to have all God wanted for me, I'd give up being a Baptist. That's where I was. I, I don't, don't let that scare you. I'm not going to run you down a road here and you're going to wish I hadn't been here preaching. I, I didn't do anything unbaptistic, but I, what I'm saying is this. Some of you are looking at me like, what's he fixing to say? <laughs> I, uh, I came to a place in my life where I said, God, I want everything you have for me. I'd love to stay in the Baptist church and do it. But if I can't, I still want everything you have for me. And my brother is telling me, you know, he's been baptized in the Spirit. My brother's one of the finest Christians I knew. And so I went to my knees and I went to my Bible. And I set myself apart and I spent time praying and studying what it means to be baptized in the Spirit and to be filled with the Spirit. And I'm, I'm going to tell you my conclusion, and this is just a two-minute conclusion of months of study. But I'm going to tell you this. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 taught me that every person who is saved has been baptized by the Spirit. You've been placed into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. But can I tell you this? The baptism of the Spirit is a positional truth that you had nothing to do with. It's something God does for you, you don't do for God. Positional truth means it is something that happens when you're saved and you don't have to ask God to do it. For example, he wrote your name down in the Lamb's Book of Life. You didn't have to ask him to do that. That's positional truth. That's something God does automatically when you're saved. And one of the things, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an automatic positional truth. God baptizes you with the Spirit when you are saved. Now, it puts you in a position to receive power, but it bestows no power. Now hang with me. The baptism of the Spirit puts you in the body of Christ in a position to be filled with the Spirit of Christ. But there is one baptism and many fillings. And God, when He baptizes us into the body of Christ, he puts us in a place where we can walk in the Spirit and be filled with the Spirit. So the baptism of the Spirit is not the fullness of the Spirit. Now, I have a lot of Pentecostal friends who disagree with me there, and I love them. My brother is one of them. And, I, and, and a lot of the old, great old preachers in the evangelical church use the wrong, I think, the wrong vernacular to teach the right thing, or a Tory referred to it, referred to the fullness of the Spirit as the baptism of the Spirit. That's okay. I'd rather you call it the wrong thing and have the right thing than to call it the right thing and have nothing. 
So the fullness of the Spirit. Second thing about that is it's imperative. Be filled. That's not a that's not laying out an option. He's giving a command. He's saying, be filled. And to not be filled is to not be right with God. For God intends every believer. Ephesians 5 talks about the family. Husband, wife, teenager, child, employer, employee. Everybody be filled with the Spirit. It's an imperative. Then it's passive. That means you don't feel yourself. God fills you up. I want to ask you. Have you now, are you now and have you ever been filled with God's Spirit? I hungered so much to be filled with the Spirit as a young preacher. I uh, read every book I could read. Jack Taylor's book, Key to Triumphant Living, came out. I, I devoured it in one day. I said, where's this guy been all my life? And he began to teach me that the fullness of the Spirit had to be preceded by a hunger and a thirst. Well, I feel that category. <laughs> I was hungry and I was thirsty. But that we're filled with the Spirit just like we get saved by faith. You know, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 says, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Now, the Bible describes that faith in using many metaphors. It's like drinking a drink of water. The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit like drinking a drink of water. The Holy Spirit wants to fill us, desires to fill us, and when we work systematically, I believe this, he works automatically. And when I get to the place where I get all the self out of the way, then he desires to fill me. There is a foe whose hidden power the Christian well may fear. More subtle far than inbred sin and to the heart more dear. It is the power of selfishness. It is the willful eye. And before my Lord can live in me, my very self must die. Oh, to be free from self, dear Lord. Oh, to be lost in thee. Oh, that it might be no more I, but Christ who lives in me. See, that's the fullness of the Spirit. It's Christ living in me. Me getting out of the way. Or as Luke 9, 23 says, if any man will come after him, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. What, what do you take up a cross for? To die. Not to be wounded, but to die. You know where the cross is for the Christian? It's where my will and God's will intersects. At that point, I choose to either go on my agenda or die to my agenda and go on with his. 
That's what it means, really, to walk in the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, walk in obedience and faith, allowing Him to control our lives. In Europe, there was a great maestro, musician named Mendelssohn. There came a point in Mendelssohn's life when he wanted to tour Europe and see the great cathedrals of Europe and hear the great pipe organs of Europe. And so the great Mendelssohn went on a tour. and He went in all the beautiful and majestic cathedrals, but there was one particular cathedral where they had the largest and most magnificent pipe organ in Europe anywhere, and he was really looking forward to hearing that organ. The day that he got to that cathedral, it just happened to be the day when their local organist was in the organ chamber practicing. And so Mendelssohn walked in and sat down and listened to the local organist playing the organ. And after a while, the guy quit long enough to look around and see that there were guests, and Mendelssohn stood up and walked over to him and said, Sir, that's magnificent music. He said, I, I, I'm an organist myself, and I'm on a tour of Europe, and I'd heard about your organ. I wonder if, if you would just let me sit down here and, and just feel those keys. I mean, I would, I would be so honored if you'd let me just sit down and play just a little bit to see how, how it sounds. And, and the local organist said, sir, I'm sorry. But he said, we have a policy in this cathedral that nobody, nobody plays this organ except the paid professional." Nobody can play it but me. And Mendelssohn said, okay, sir. And he sat back down, and the man continued to play. But after a little while, Mendelssohn couldn't take it anymore. It's like that verse in Jeremiah that was read yesterday. His fire was burning within him, and he couldn't contain himself. And he got up, and he, he patted the man on the shoulder and said, sir, sir, please, listen. I'm from out of town. I'll never be back here. Would you give me just a minute, just a play the organ and, and he said he said I, I, I'm sorry sir I can't do that but he began to see that Mendelssohn was emotionally distraught and so finally the man gave in and he said okay okay you sit down here just briefly and I'll let you play it and Mendelssohn sat down at the organ and he began to play and as he began to play that local musician's jaw dropped. He had never heard such incredible music. And after a little while, he walked over and he tapped Mendelssohn on the shoulder and said, Sir, who are you? And the man turned around and said, My name is Mendelssohn. When he said Mendelssohn, a name that was known all over Europe, the man took a step back and said, oh, Mendelssohn, oh, and, and just think, an old fool like me almost didn't let the great Mendelssohn play at my keyboard. Do I have to apply it? An old fool 
like me. Almost didn't let the master musician, the Lord Jesus, have access to the keys of my heart. That's all he's asking for. Get out of the way. Yield your heart and life to him. And let him have control. Grieve not. Stop grieving. Quench not. Stop quenching. Be filled right now. Six words that will change any Christian's life. Will you bow with me in prayer? We were not able to take a lot of time tonight developing each text. Actually, this is really three sermons. I've tried to give you a Reader's Digest version in one. But I just hope this was enough for you to catch a glimpse of how we can and often do grieve the heart of God. Hey, I, I just want you to be aware of that and to recognize what a serious thing it is to grieve God. And if tonight the Holy Spirit has put his finger on anything in your life that's grieving him, would you ask him to forgive you and take it out of your heart? Or if there's anything in your heart he's shown you tonight that's pouring cold water, quenching the Spirit in your life, would you ask him to forgive you for those things that you are allowing to put out the fire of the Spirit in your life? And then, here's the question tonight. Are you tonight being controlled by the Holy Spirit? Is he filling your life? If he's not, what a great time and a great place just to yield to him and by faith claim his filling tonight. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us. And can I add, and according to his mercy, he has filled us. We don't deserve the fullness. We could never earn it. It's not something we earn. It's something we yield to and receive as God's gift to us. Now, Father, in these moments, I pray for myself and I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room. Lord, I pray that you'll help us tonight to stop grieving stop quenching, and to be filled with your Spirit tonight. We ask in Jesus' name, thy will be done in each life. Lord, help any decision that needs to be made publicly tonight to be made. Lord, that's in your hands. Anything we can talk anybody into, somebody else can talk them out of. Lord, it has to be you. It has to be all of you that work in people's lives. And that's what we want tonight. That's what we hunger for. That's what we desire for you to work in our midst. In Jesus' name.